Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young business leaders, welcome to the YBT podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I've officially said that. At least 100 times now, uh, today is podcast number 100, and man, oh man, uh, this is really cool. We celebrated our first year of doing the podcasts, and now we get a, a chance to celebrate uh, the first 100 podcasts, which is actually putting us pretty close to, if not already, over two years of doing this. So to everybody who has tuned in, who's listened, who's subscribed, who's liked the page, who's left comments, all of those things. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, this is something that uh, hopefully you guys are getting a lot of content out of, a lot of ideas out of, and hopefully it's motivating you to be more entrepreneurial, to be a better leader, to be a better uh, husband, to be a better wife, whatever it may be. Hopefully this is helping to motivate you and challenge you to take your life to that next level. So thank you for being along for this journey. I'm really excited to share this week's podcast with you. This week's podcast, I have guests. John G. Miller. And if that name sounds familiar, I actually had him on for podcast number 23. Uh, so that was a while ago. But uh, when we recorded it, uh, we were it was me and Matt, and we were just kind of asking him questions about uh, the question behind the question, the book that he wrote. And uh, man, it was it was really awesome to get his insight. And, and actually that early in the podcast, have somebody uh, reach out and be interested in being a guest. And so I wanted to reach back out to him because um, I wanted to kind of dive a little bit deeper into some practical application of question behind the question. So we got to talk a little bit about that, uh, maybe from a little bit different approach than what we would traditionally approach QBQ from. And so uh, we'll dive into that. But for those of you who haven't listened to podcast number uh, 23, John G. Miller has spent his life becoming an expert in one area, his opinion. John has one clear mission, helping organizations make personal accountability a core value. He's the author of Question Behind the Question, QBQ, Flipping the Switch, Outstanding, 47 Ways to Make Your Organization Exceptional, and co-author of Raising Accountable Kids. After today's podcast, you can find out more at qbq.com. John lives in Denver, Colorado with his wife, Karen, six daughters, and one son, plus a pug named Nug, a Shibu Inu named Mabel, one ball python, two box turtles, and an Australian lizard named Wizard, a parrot named Popeye, and a horse named Roxy. Karen and John also now have, I believe it's 10 grandkids, and uh, John serves on the board of directors for the Denver Rescue Mission, an organization dedicated to feeding the homeless. So I'm excited to bring to you for podcast number 100, John G. Miller. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time to speak to my audience again. Uh, if my listeners will remember, we actually had you on episode 23, so uh, quite a while ago, but really honored to have you on. 
podcast number 100 for me. Uh, I wanted to bring you on, uh, first of all, just because I think the topic that you talk about uh, is so relevant and it's something that we, we need to be reminded of. But then I want to dive a little bit deeper into like a really specific area of it and, and, and get your thoughts on, on, on some, some ideas or some concepts. But uh, if you don't mind, for those who haven't listened to Podcast 23, can you uh, say hello to the audience and then maybe tell them a little bit about yourself and a little bit about question behind the question? Certainly, Evan, and thanks for having me back. Great fun. And to be on number 100, congratulations to you, and uh, I'm honored to be number 100 for you. Thank you. (laughs) I live in Denver, married 38 years. Uh, We have seven kids, and we have 10 grandchildren. And I just turned 60, Evan, so I guess that means I have a lot of wisdom, right? Lots of wisdom to share. Absolutely. Or just some gray hair. But uh, I've been out speaking on personal accountability for decades before it was cool. You know, sometimes people think, oh, personal accountability, just what our world needs today. Well, uh, the world needed it when I started in the 90s. And I teach a a methodology called QBQ, the question behind the question. And that's the title of my book, QBQ, the question behind the question. That's our website, qbq.com. We're pretty easy to find. And it really is all about, instead of asking externally focused questions that lead to blame and victim thinking, procrastination, you know, questions like who made the mistake and why is this happening to me and when will others solve the problem? We teach people to ask the question behind the question, the QBQ, which sounds a lot more like what can I do to add value? How can I help solve the problem? What can I do to contribute today? We find in a lot of corporations, and I've been out selling training since 1986, that people will lament all the change going on, for example. And they'll say, why do we have to go through all this change? And we simply teach people to pause and say, well, uh, change is here to stay. What Mm -hmm. can I do to adapt to the changing world and be my best today? So it's a message of personal accountability. And the QBQ is simply a tool to help me get there. I love everything that we're talking about here with the the personal accountability. I think that these are definitely things that... uh, that we need to aspire to, and we are, we're always looking for situations to get our, ourselves better and hopefully take our companies to the next level. When I first read the book, and when I when I uh, kind of uh, talked to you in the in the beginning, um, it was approaching it more from me being the leader and uh, leading people, and so kind of motivating them to ask those questions to help them, and then me as a leader do the same. Um, but I was recently in a situation where I wasn't the leader and, um, it kind of made me reflect on QBQ because it was a lot more difficult for me to figure out what questions to ask because, uh, I've been in a situation where I've been under good leadership. I've been under great leadership. Uh, but I was actually in a situation where I was under poor leadership. And so, Looking at QBQ from the perspective of of maybe a, a poor supervisor or a poor boss or whatever else, maybe you just changed jobs and you're jumping into this role. Uh, I feel like that's where the QBQ really becomes important because your motivation changes. You don't want to ask those questions. I think you want to ask them when you want the enterprise and the business to be better and you want everything to go a certain direction. But now you're in a, in a role where you're like, man, that it's really hard for me to follow this person. They've, they've done some things that have caused me to question their leadership or what their motivations are. And so now it's like, what do we do? What are the questions the same or are there are some additional questions that we can ask ourselves? Because you said in your book, the employee can't change the supervisor, but it feels like 
that's the most difficult application of QBQ because your your motivation has to be purely internal at that point because you're struggling with the external. Does that make sense? Sure. Here's this could be a very short interview, Evan. <laughs> we'll be done in about 20 seconds. <laughs> There's a couple of concepts that we teach, but all of it comes back to emotional maturity, taking ownership for my thoughts, feelings, and actions, recognizing I'm in charge of me, really understanding um, what I have to do in life and what I don't have to do. There's very little we have to do. And people who are not really understanding this concept of accountability frequently will say things like, I have to go to this meeting. I have to go to work today. Sure, we understand on a surface level. Nothing wrong with saying, I have to run to the grocery store. But no, not really. Almost everything we do, we choose to do. It is a choice. It is a conscious decision, which is redundant because all decisions are conscious. We always think through our decisions, whether we realize it or not. So if I'm going to work at ABC company for a manager I just can't stand, then I have decided consciously to do that today. Nobody's hog tying me, throwing me in the back of an Oklahoma pickup truck and driving me to that place of employment. Right, Evan? True. And nobody's making me do that. So the minute we start to grow in our thinking and realize, hey, I've chosen this, it gives us a mental and emotional freedom that is unbelievable. Because, you know, when we feel like we have to do something, we're trapped. I mean, just to be honest with you, I don't have to pay my taxes. I choose to pay my taxes because I don't like the alternatives. If I don't pay my taxes, something bad will happen. So everything I do, I choose. So if I'm going to go to work and I'm not working for a good boss, I've decided to be there. And then the next step kicks in, accountability. I can't fix him or her. I can't change him or her. So I better be asking the QBQs like, well, what can I do to be my best today? How can I focus on my own development today? What can I do to contribute to the team? The minute I start asking these I questions, I've taken away the drain, the literal energy drain, Evan, of trying to change someone else. And it also prevents me from standing at the water cooler whispering about my boss, which is a terrible thing to be doing, or going home to my <laughs> spouse and complaining about my manager because the complaining, the lamenting, the whining, the griping, the bemoaning, it is an energy drain. So the minute I start asking QBQs, what can I do to change me? Everything is better. And then, of course, we have another uh, theme we teach in both the, in the QBQ book and my book called Outstanding, 47 Ways to Make Your Organization Exceptional. It's very simple. I've been teaching it for decades, and I'm going to give it to you. It's called Believe or Leave. I mean, even before this economy was roaring, a good person has choices. Employers have always sought good people. We always need good people. That's the biggest headache for an employer is good finding good people. So if I am not happy where I am, if I don't believe in the, the organization, its mission, my manager, the people I'm working with, the products and services we're delivering, get out. Now, I don't say that lightly. Don't worry. I understand people have debt and mortgage and bills to pay and kids to put through college and food to put on the table. But in the end, believe or leave really helps me realize I've chosen to be here. 
But if I'm not believing in the institution anymore, it might be time to take accountability for my life and look around. I think that's kind of in lines with what I was thinking. I think a lot of people feel, I know they choose to go, but in some cases they do feel trapped because of the situation of mortgages and debt and whatever else. So is there... Is, is that where it just points right back to the personal accountability and focusing on yourself? Because I, I can see where I'm focusing on being the best person that I can be and, and the best manager or the best employee or whatever else. But if every interaction that I have or, or whatever else creates this frustration, and I feel like frustration is a very dangerous thing because that's when you start to do things outside of your character and it goes outside of maybe the best version of yourself. What are some things that we can do to... Uh, help eliminate some of that frustration when we do not necessarily have the ability to believe or leave. Being accountable and asking QBQs doesn't mean we don't do anything. We may have to, um, you know, some people might call it man up, but that's pretty sexist today, right? Yeah. We won't say that. But we might have to go in and talk to our supervisor directly, but we better learn how to do that. Uh, it can't be emotional. Uh, it can't be vague. Uh, we can't insult or slam the other person. We need to go in, uh, state our feelings. I am frustrated because, and then give them a reason and ask them a question and try to talk through it like adults. Now, of course, if you end up, uh, Evan, with an immature, an immature supervisor, that might not go well. But you will feel a lot better if you've at least, <laughs> at least done the adult, adult thing and gone in and talked to that manager. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm just painting scenarios that I, I don't know if they could happen or not. But if, if you try that, I mean, it's only correct that we speak to people directly, not behind their back. If, if we try that and that doesn't work, there's always that option of going over to human resources or taking that big risk of going above our manager to his or her boss. But see, that gets back to all this stuff that we can't control. Right. I can't control my boss. I can't control my boss's boss. I don't know what HR will do. Maybe the HR person will pick up the phone and immediately rat on me and call the boss. <laughs> so, so QBQ is all about being in control of myself, my actions, taking ownership for my feelings, my emotions. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm frustrated. And a great definition of frustration, Evan, is really frustration comes when our goals are blocked. Uh, it could be as simple as trying to drive to work and you want to be there on time and there's an accident on the road. You have to go around. It's blocking your goal of getting there on time. That creates frustration. At work, you've got a lousy boss. You're trying to get something done. You're trying to improve. You're trying to serve the team and the boss keeps thwarting your efforts. He's blocking my goals. So that's frustration. But we need to be aware of these things. My goals are being blocked. What can I do differently? My goal is being blocked. How can I speak to my supervisor maturely and directly? What can I do? to let go of this moment. See, mm -hmm. as we teach in the QBQ book, Evan, the ultimate QBQ, see, we can ask all these questions. You know, how can I develop myself? What can I do to serve the other department? How can I adapt to change? But we teach what we call the ultimate QBQ. When all else fails, we can always ask this question, how can I let go of what I can't control? I'm going to say that again. How can I let go of what I can't control? See, we teach in QBQ, the answers are in the questions. And until I start asking good questions, I won't get the right answers. And in this case, the question is the answer. How can I let go of what I can't control? And I better today just work on me. 
Well, that that question right there is probably it's almost like a mirror right there where it kind of puts it back on yourself and you, and you you're going to have to ask yourself why is this so important to me or why why is what I'm trying my goal or whatever so important that I that I need to have that much control with it all the way through. If I'm doing my best and I'm and I'm putting forth the effort and I'm following the proper channels and I'm getting blocked, uh, why is that so important and and why why do I need to uh, feel the need to be frustrated with it. That that definitely helps. W- one of the th- other things that you were, you were you were talking about kind of felt a little bit like humility was was part of this, where it's 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 kind of humbling yourself in the situation and uh, kind of deferring at some point. And uh, and I think that's part of you know asking those questions of 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 why do I or, or why do I feel this way and, and why is it so important or um, you know, do I need to be the person? Do I need to be the one that's 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 pushing towards this thing? Do you believe that, or or, or is humility kind of interwoven into QBQ? Oh well, yes, we teach in uh, QBQ, and then I think we brought it up again in flipping the switch. And I'm going to say this: we have it in our parenting book titled "Raising Accountable Kids." Humility is the cornerstone of leadership. Humility is the cornerstone of leadership. So it's awfully tough to draw people toward me without humility. Now, your listeners who are, frust- who are frustrated with a, a boss might be thinking, yeah, my boss needs some humility. Well, <laughs> there you go. Well, we can't change others. Uh, QBQ is not for your boss. Uh, personal accountability is not for your boss. Humility is not for your boss because you can't make someone be humble. Ben Franklin once said, the day I shall arrive at a total state of humility, I will be quite proud of myself. <laughs> We never really get there. Humility yeah. is a very tough thing to maintain, especially if we succeed in life. I mean, is it is it unhumble? Is it arrogant to to tell people about your successes? It's a fine line. But anyway, this whole process of being accountable requires humility because you're basically saying, ouch, I've made some mistakes. I'm looking in the mirror. Today I will change me. I'm not perfect. I don't always have the answers. I don't always do it correctly. And today is the day I'm going to work on changing me. I want to share something that you triggered when you asked a question. My mentor used to teach a six-step confronting technique, confrontation technique. And it was taught manager to employee, you know, boss to subordinate, whatever term you want to use in Mm -hmm. your organization. And I'll never forget, I asked Steve, and he wrote a book called 13 Fatal Errors Managers Can uh, Make, 13 Fatal Errors Managers Make and How to Avoid Them, named Steve Brown. I asked Steve once, I said, Steve, what, what are you really trying to teach when you teach that six-step confronting technique? And he was in Birmingham, Alabama, had the Southern accent, and he always called me Johnny. I sold for him for 10 years. He said, Johnny, he said, Johnny I'm just trying to get people to talk to each other. That was it. I'm just trying to get people to talk to each other. And just think what, that would, hap- what would happen in churches, marriages, parent-child, workplace situations. If people would just talk to each other calmly, maturely, sometimes we yell, that's okay, we're, we're upset, but mm-hmm. talk to each other, not about each other. And that's what he was trying to get through to the manager was if you see your employee, your staff member coming in late, don't let it happen three times, talk to them the first time it happens. Otherwise, you know, molehills grow into mountains. Mm-hmm. So in this situation, Evan, if I'm upset with a boss, I can do a couple things. I can let it go and be my best. I can go home and whine about it, or I can go into the boss and bring it up and talk to him about it, see what happens. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like that that what you're talking about is actually it disarms the situation. I think our imagination uh, starts to play and and plays out all of these different scenarios, and then we're we're like you know ten steps down the line when none of that's really happened yet, and you just figure like, well, well, if he's doing this, then this, 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 and this yeah. is going to happen. And so when you actually sit down and have that conversation, and and, and I think you have to be humble too because you you got to lay your pride down a little bit and and just say, you know, I. I disagree with this or, or it, it hurt me when you, when you said this or, or, and, and that's, you're kind of being vulnerable at that point And you're, right. you're hoping that the other person is going to um, be receptive to that, respond to it and respond professionally because they, they could obviously go the other direction with it too. But yeah. uh, to have that conversation then, especially when it's, really uncomfortable because you know everything's fresh at that point everything's just happened and so now like you said it's a molehill now but it can become a mountain there's going to be a lot more people involved there's going to be a lot more um uh time in between that for it to fester and grow and rot or whatever it is and if you have that initial conversation the uncomfortable conversation it it can help um you know what i gotta say something because you made a good point there if I'm going in to tell my boss I disagree with something, uh, that's different than going in and saying, hey, you know, you, you embarrassed me in, in the group meeting, or uh, I don't like it when you stepped in and took back control, when you uh-huh. had supposedly empowered me to do it, blah, blah, blah. To disagree with something, see, quick story. I, I went to Cornell University. And I was an agricultural and business major, but I had to take some sciences. So I took astronomy. And my uh, professor was a guy named Dr. Carl Sagan, the very famous astronomer who passed away several years ago from cancer, but he was a very famous guy, Dr. Carl Sagan. And fascinating to have him as a professor, but I didn't really like the course. And I, you know, I, I didn't do all that well, but I had to pass it. And of course, I'm thinking, why do I have to take astronomy to be an agricultural and business major? But, but then... <laughs> You know, Evan, the day came when I had to recognize I didn't run the school. I wasn't the boss. If the school, Cornell, required me to take a science and pass, I better pass it. And this mm-hmm. is the way employees and staff members have they have to recognize their position. We talk about teamwork. That's great. But we're, come on, be honest, we're not really peers. We're not running the place. So if we go into a boss and say, I don't like this strategic or tactical decision, sure, we can talk it out. But I have to remember at the end of the meeting, I don't run the school. I don't run the place. But if I've chosen to work there, I need to accept management's decisions. Now, if over time, those decisions become uh, un, uh, uh, unacceptable to me, and I don't uh, appreciate the direction of the company and its culture, then we're back to believe or leave. But there is a time to recognize, Evan. It's like your children, you know? You, you collaborate with your kids. You talk with your kids. You ask them questions. You get your opinions. But if mom and dad decide they're going to move, the kids don't run the school. Mom and dad are going to make a decision, and you're going to move the family. We have to recognize our place as an associate or an employee in any organization. Well, I appreciate you bringing that up, and, and especially talking about teamwork. I think when when I think of teamwork, I think of like you know the poster of everybody rowing in the same direction and everybody's like working together. But teamwork also has another side to it that I don't think we talk about much. And I think you just brought it up. It's that that part where you kind of realize your role and you focus in on your role, and you don't have to be 
the lead person or the person calling out things that need to be or making the big decisions. It's kind of getting into the best area that you can be effective in. And I think a lot of times people kind of gloss over that part and they go straight to the, uh, well, we're going to use teamwork to accomplish this, but I don't think they tune into the part of teamwork where they sometimes just have to sit down and just do the work. Well, teamwork does not mean it's a democracy and we all get to vote. The old, yeah. the old school of management, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm 60. The old school of management was my way or the highway and pendulum swing and pendulums always swing too far. So, you know, 30, 40 years ago, my way or the highway. So if the pendulum on management swings too far, we've got everybody voting on every decision. Well, you can't have that either. Someone has to run the school. Someone has to yeah. take risks. Someone has to make the decisions. And the average staff member is not taking really big risks. They're not choosing what market to be in, what product to build, what big tactical decisions to make next, what buildings to invest in. They're simply doing their job. And the really good ones do their job well. Now, wait a minute. Let's say we get promoted. I'm going to tell your audience something right now that uh, couldn't be a, a, a firmer belief for me. I sold management training for 10 years, 1986 to 1995. That's when I learned 90% of all managers who are promoted do not receive people management training. Now, even today, some people will say, oh, yeah, I got trained. No, you were shown a video on HR policy. <laughs> that is not training. And so now that we have seven kids and they're all in the workforce, our kids are 35. Well, the oldest 35-year-old, she works for me, so she has a great boss. But with our, <laughs> our kids are 35 down to 19. They're all employed. And let me tell you what we see. It's so glaring. It's sad. Managers untrained, poor communication, mm -hmm. terrible decision making, not following up with people, whatever. The management actions that we see through the eyes of our kids and our kids aren't victims. We're not saying our kids are victims, but because I'm a storyteller, I'm always asking my kids what's going on at work. I am, I am convinced to this day, here we are in 2018. Most managers get promoted to a management job and they don't get any training. So if you're a person who wants to be a manager or you have been promoted, don't even wait for your company to train you because the odds are they won't. You go out and you find the best books, the best seminars, the best classes, and you invest in you because when you become a better manager, everybody wins. Well, that pretty much ties right into the kind of premise of this entire conversation was, you know, there are those bad managers out there and, and it kind of is growing and growing and growing. And so, you know, what are the, some of these co you know questions that we can ask ourselves to make ourselves better employees? Because like I, like I said, it's really, I feel like it's easier to implement QBQ when we're under good leadership and we're under a good manager who's under, who has good communication skills and treats his employees well. But there's a lot of situations where there's somebody who's ascended to a role because they were probably good at sales or they're they're excelling at some some part of what the company does. But when they get into that leadership role and they don't have maybe the skills that they need, and um, and you're not really to that point where uh, you can. Uh, you, you can talk to them and say, hey, man, you, you got to communicate better. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're going to lo start losing people. Um, 
one of the questions that I actually had kind of ties into that a little bit, which is how do you present QBQ to somebody who's maybe in that role that doesn't have those skills uh, without it kind of coming off as like, hey, you, you kind of stink at what you do. And uh, I, I really think that this is going to help you. Is, is, there, is there an easier way or a more professional way to present QBQ to somebody in leadership that's probably failing at what they're doing? Well, it, it depends on who's doing the, the presenting, meaning if I work for you, Evan, uh, the wrong thing to do is to hand you the QBQ book and say, hey, you need this. Yeah. <laughs> but if you work for me, if I'm your boss, if I'm a vice president and you're the director of operations and I see you're untrained, before I hand you anything, I better be looking in the mirror and saying, what have I done? I have yeah. not trained my people. I have not developed my people. I have not invested in in training. Remember, the last thing budgeted for and the first thing cut is training. And how do I know that? Because I have sold it since 1986. <laughs> people drag their feet on investing in training because it's not a building. It's not a vehicle. They can't kick the tires. It's too subjective. So the great companies do develop their people, but the great people develop themselves. Mm -hmm. so hopefully, a manager listening today who Let's just say they're doing okay, but they realize after listening to Evan and John Miller here, they're thinking, you know what? I'm managing six people and I haven't gotten any training. I'm not going to blame my company. I'm not going to start saying, why don't I get more training? When am I going to get better coaching? I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask, what can I do to develop myself? And I'm going to go out and find those books and those seminars and those tools to help me be a better people manager. But mm -hmm. it's very difficult, Evan, to to tell someone else you're being a crummy manager. See, that's back to the whole concept that's in the antithesis to QBQ. QBQ's number one message, every time I'm on the Dave Ramsey show, I've been on many times because Dave loves the book QBQ because you can't get out of debt financially unless you <laughs> yeah. But he always says, you know, John, what's the number one takeaway from your QBQ message? And I always say, Dave, it's right here. I can only change me. Mm -hmm. So if I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, if I'm a staff member, not managing people and I've, I've got a boss, of course, I can only change me. If I'm a boss and I've got six staff, I can only change me. Does that mean I don't manage, don't coach, train, confront, hire and fire? No, of course not. But it all begins with me asking, what can I do to improve me? If at home with a, with a, a spouse, instead of saying, you know, why doesn't he or she do more for me? wait a minute, I can only change me. What can I do to serve her today? Mm -hmm. In our parenting book, instead of asking, why are my kids so out of control? Let's ask, what can I do to learn new parenting skills? So the essence of QBQ is I can only change me. So uh, if you're frustrated with the boss, I would still begin with learning ways to communicate with that boss that matches her or his style and continually working on my emotions, letting go of the frustrations I have with that person and being the very best contributor I can be. Do you believe that if you're executing QBQ on your end, it can start to overflow to your peers and your leadership to where maybe that that's where the conversation comes like, hey man, what, what are you doing differently? Do you think that it, it has that ability to really, uh, or I guess the other side of it would be maybe uh, allow you to ascend to a, a higher level to where you can start implementing it. So um, Susie uh, read QBQ or, and got some QBQ training at work and went home one evening and opened the door and there are the three kids bouncing on the couch, dinner's not made and the place is a mess and her husband was reading a magazine. And Susie said, after learning QBQ, what can I do to help out? 
And her husband uh, said something like, who are you and what have you done with my wife? (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's just a fun little uh, example. We can go home and practice QBQ. Now, don't... If the women are listening and they're already mad at the husband for reading a magazine, let's let it go, okay? Let's just let yeah. that go, right? <laughs> but all we can do is set an example. And in, in many cases, we teach in uh, almost all of our material, especially in that parenting book, modeling is the most powerful of all teachers. Mm-hmm. Modeling is, is the most powerful of all teachers. But just because I, as an individual contributor, start practicing personal accountability, asking those QBQs, controlling my emotions and being the best I can be, that does not mean, Evan, my manager will catch on. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, a lot of people in management positions, not only are they untrained, they're possibly on a small power trip, the ego's gotten in the way, uh, someone's told them all their life they're amazing, and they don't really see someone else practicing accountability. They might be glad you are, but they might not em- start emulating you just because you're doing it. So don't mm-hmm. go into practicing accountability because you want others to change. Just do it for you. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of those leaders are unaware a lot of times. And uh, if you're a leader listening to this podcast and you're sitting there going, you know, I have not had any of this training. I haven't had any uh, interpersonal skills or personal accountability training. I think think just with my conversation with you, I mean, it, it should hopefully be becoming a glaring light in your face saying you need to start investing in yourself. So if you are that unaware leader and who's listening and, and tuning into this, uh, th- these are great resources for you to tune into, to develop yourself and go uh, that direction, because I, I think that's going to make you a better leader. It's going to make you a better, your team, a better team and your organization overall that much better. John, how, how are the, uh, what's the best way for the audience to connect with you? What's the best way for them to, uh, to access all of the, sure. uh, materials that you have so that they can invest in themselves? I always chuckle at that question. Cause years ago we'd give out addresses and phone numbers and all that. <laughs> now it's like three letters, qbq.com, qbq.com. And I will point out something since you last had me on Evan, since show number 23, we have published something the market asked for. It's called creatively called the QBQ workbook. And all that is, is a hands-on personal application tool that helps me take the QBQ book and its material and go even deeper with it. So if you really want to take accountability to heart, the QBQ book and the QBQ workbook are available and you can buy them from Amazon or wherever together. But QBQ.com, that's how you find us. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I always give my uh, guests the final word, an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Uh, as we've talked, hopefully you've gotten a good understanding of of who we're talking about and who we're talking directly to. So what would you say your message is to young business leaders? Whatever your situation today, ask that ultimate QBQ we mentioned a few minutes ago. How can I let go of what I can't control? How can I let go of what I can't control and then turn it around and say, what can I do today to change me? Mm-hmm. Great things will happen. Awesome. John, thank you so much for being guest number 100 on the YBT podcast. I'm, I'm really honored that you take the time uh, to speak to our audience and to help us better be accountable to ourselves and to our teams. Uh, this is just uh, such a 
a, a relevant topic, I think, throughout the years. And, you know, if you don't mind, I'm going to keep reaching out as we as we kind of come across examples of how QBQ can be implemented into our daily lives. So, John, thank you for being on the podcast. Listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.